Well, our names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own song so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. And we live in a van and we eat from the trash. Making this podcast open for cash. You better listen up because we probably won't last. Because we can't compete with nonsense. Hypnotizing nonsense. Goober. <laughs> Welcome to Escaping Society, episode 27, Thumbin' a Ride. I'm Teresa. And I'm Gumby. And we are in a park in Durham, as we often are when we're in Durham. And it's a very chilly day. Yesterday it was about 83 degrees. This was, um, yesterday was October 31st. And by chilly, like we're talking about, what, it's upper 40s or? Yeah, the high today is going to be like 53, so yeah. I guess it's fall. It's not like Colorado snow on the ground chilly. Right. <laughs> but yeah, yesterday we had a beautiful time bathing um, pretty early in the day and just plunging into this really refreshing water and watching the leaves fall on the water. And as you did that, it looked like the leaves were falling upward because of the reflection, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. And it was 80 degrees yesterday. Yeah. So, whew, it's fall, y'all. Um, so, today we're talking about hitchhiking and our experiences and stories. I guess hitchhiking was the original carpool. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and often thinking about, like, what we can do to help the earth out in this framework of society. Hitchhiking seems like it could reduce the added emissions um, to the atmosphere. Yeah, I'm leaning in. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, just still get you to where you want to be. So Gumby has done a lot more hitchhiking than I have. He introduced me to it. Um, but we first started doing it uh, when we were on the mountains to the sea trail just to get back to my car. Gumby? Yeah, one of the th- things I like the most about hitchhiking, to add on to what Teresa was saying, is I feel like to escape society and also to fight society – one of the first things you got to do is try to boycott it, try to not need it, try to pull away from it. You know, we're all contributing to this negative impact on our planet with the way we live. So I love that hitchhiking is one of the methods that I can still um, benefit from some of the things in society that I'm not ready to turn away from. You know, like I still want that mobility. I'm, I don't find myself quite ready to just like be satisfied with wherever I can just walk to with my own feet. But by throwing my thumb out, learning how to hitchhike, you know, like Teresa said, the original carpooling, I can go all over the country and beyond um, (laughs) without, like, pouring my money into a corporation I don't believe in, without adding anything extra, just catching a ride with somebody and also builds community. You know, there's all these unexpected things that can happen when you're hitchhiking, people you might meet that you couldn't possibly uh, plan for. Mm -hmm. So to get you started, one of the things to think about is what to pack. You know, most people when they hitchhike, unless you're just like trying to get down the road to the convenience store and, you know, buy some cigarettes or something, (laughs) you're going to bring something. It's kind of a longer term trip. You're going to plan like, what if I'm out there um, overnight? 
So I'd say it's similar to backpacking, um, especially when I started. Um, I just got a big old, like, I bought a $250 Gregory Shasta backpack, and this was before I was trying not to buy new stuff. So I went to REI and bought it. And as far as buying new stuff, you know, it, it was a good investment. It's lasted me many years. I only, this last year, finally got rid of it. And I think I bought it in 97 or something. It lasted me a good 20 years, and I took it everywhere. So think in terms of a backpacking trip. Um you know, shelter, like if you're going to be in places with trees and you like hammocks, you know, bring that, bring a tent. Although I got to say that I didn't actually use the shelter I brought a lot. Hammocks I did, but not a tent. I'd find like bridges to go under, abandoned houses, just ways to find shelter. Definitely bring water. You don't want to be dropped off in the middle of nowhere without a source of water. And you might think you're always going to be around a town, but sometimes you wind up on some desolate stretch of highway that it's a, a long walk or a wait until you find water. So always bring a couple bottles of water in your pack. Fire, I don't often have a chance to start a fire, but since it takes up so little space to have a pack of matches or a lighter, why not? Stick it in your pocket. Because when you do have the opportunity, man, sitting around a fire makes for a really nice night. But of course, you're very visible. And often when you're, tr- you're hitchhiking, you're trespassing. So you got to think about your visibility. You're kind of wanting to sneak in there, get your night's sleep, sneak out, hit the road and keep traveling. And food. Always good to bring some food with you. Um, also, changes in the weather. You know, all the things you think about backpacking, like extra clothes, layering, like we talked about with house light a shelter. Um, enough clothes to be warm, enough clothes to shed water somehow. Like I said in how slight a shelter. I prefer heavy-duty stuff that when it gets wet, it still works rather than rain gear, but that's your call. Rain gear works for some people. What about a tarp? Oh, a tarp is marvelous. Like, you can (laughs) use a tarp with cords to make a hammock. You can use a tarp just to get under. You can even, like, not tie it up, you know, just kind of throw a tarp over you when just to wait out a rainstorm. So definitely a tarp. I'd say that's one of the main bottom things. And a ground cloth, something just to lay on even on a a pretty night. And Gumby showed me how to make a backpack out of a tarp. Mm Mm-hmm. And yeah, think about the locations, like where you're going. Are you traveling the country? Might you wind up in the desert? Might you wind up on a prairie? You know, think that through. Think ahead and uh, just try to plan. But don't let it stop you. You're not going to be able to think about all the, the different things that could happen. But you'll find that if you think on your feet, you'll troubleshoot. You'll be all right. So don't don't be discouraged. Just pack the best you can, just like you would for a backpacking trip. And uh, yeah, just improvise as you go. Mm-hmm. And one of the uh, one of the trips that Gumby like told me the one time was when he went up to New Jersey. Was this the bike trip? It depends on what you're referring this to. This one, well, it, oh, you were hitchhiking. Okay, that's right. Duh. So you went up to New Jersey hitchhiking, and then this was the one in the cave. Yeah, when I went to New Jersey. But I'm going to tell that story later. But yeah, pretty much I took my Gregory Shasta backpack, whether I rode a bike, whether I hitchhiked for the whole time I've been doing it. So this applies to every hitchhiking trip, except lately when I started experimenting with making my own backpack by how to fold a tarp and stuff. Mm. Well, I guess I'll talk about my experience then the first time we were hitchhiking. Um, So Gumby and I decided to do this trail that goes across North Carolina and it's called the Mountains to the Sea Trail. We have a a blog about the part that we've done so far. It's about halfway across the state. And the first time we were on the coast of North Carolina, the Outer Banks actually, and I had parked my car at the beginning of the trail, which was I think at Jockey's Ridge, right? So there was a lot of dunes and 
it's kind of cool. And we started walking. And we walked for, I think the first time we only walked maybe two days. But it was a distance to get back. Um, so we decided to just try hitchhiking back to my car. And lo and behold, this lady was, I think she was out birding or something, looking for birds in the morning. And she saw us and she was just kind of like, oh, well, you know, if you, uh, if I, I see you later and you need a ride, um, I'll see if I can, you know, do that. So we were like, thanks. And so we kept walking and trying to get a ride back to the car. And it was desolate. It was the Outer Banks. Yeah. So there's really only one road. <laughs> so we're walking and we see her again. And she kind of is looking like she's changed her mind. She sees us coming, and it's like she's trying to peel out of there to get out of there so she can just kind of feel like, well, you know, oh, they, they, I had to get out of there before they got to me. And she's in a Prius, and when she tried to peel out, she got her Prius stuck in a bunch of sand. So she sheepishly gets out, and she's kind of looking at the situation and looking at us. Yeah, I say, well, if you can't get your car out and you need to hitchhike, you can join us. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, she actually ended up giving us a ride back to the car. We didn't we with didn't, the deal that if we helped her get her car out, we had to help push the Prius out. So, <laughs> we worked for that ride a little bit. Yeah, but uh, it was a nice conversation on the way back. Turns out she's, uh, I think she was from the Raleigh area, mm-hmm. kind of around where we were living at. So. And she told us about the ghost blue uh, fireflies at Wilson's Creek, which is an area we are familiar with in the mountains. And it mm-hmm. wasn't until like. What, about a year after that? Yeah. We had forgotten all about that, and then suddenly we're in the mountains camping and uh, see these ghost blue fireflies, and we're like, holy shit, this is that <laughs> that thing that that woman from that first hitchhiking trip that we did together, that first ride we got, talked about. So that yeah. was pretty cool. And I think the second ride, um, the next time we went out to do the Mountains to the Sea Trail, because we were doing it in, in sections, we were kind of working up to it, because I really hadn't gone for long stretches on a backpacking trip either. So I think the second ride maybe that we got was from, it was funny because we were trying different things to get rides and I just happened to find this little American flag that I think it was, it must've been around the 4th of July. So I stuck that in my pack thinking, well, I don't know, maybe somebody that's patriotic will pick us up. Uh, We got picked up by a young man from India (laughs) <laughs> had like the god Ganesh on his uh, on his dashboard of his car and he had been driving out there with some friends so he picked us up and was really nice taking us back to the car so it it takes all kinds all sorts of people have picked us up on our hitchhiking and backpacking adventures yeah and that's one of my favorite things about hitchhiking is uh just you don't know who you're gonna meet you know it really gets you out of your, your little bubble Like for me, my bubble is pretty much nobody, you know, like just kind of keeping to myself. But even people who are social, you know, you tend to socialize with people who have something in common with you. But you hitchhike, man, it really like helps you develop these skills of diplomacy. You know, you really have to listen to people that might say things that you might choose not to listen to at other times. And uh, also watch how you talk. And you find that you can get along with people that because of that forced situation that you might have thought that you would always be on opposite sides of the fence. So I think that's a beautiful thing about hitchhiking. What was the, uh, what was the first time that you remember hitchhiking, like in your life? Well, 
Teresa and I take turns organizing our list so we don't forget any <laughs> topics, and she's got me starting like right in the middle, so I'm going to rebel against your list here, and I'm going to start at the beginning, because that's where a story should start. Okay. Once upon a time, mm-hmm. there were Gumby's parents, and they begat Gumby later in 1976. But <laughs> after a bank robbery at a undisclosed location, they fled to the country of Mexico, where upon Gumby's father... A alcoholic <laughs> and a womanizer this? spent all of his money, <laughs> and thus they had to hitchhike all the way back to their home of New New Hampshire. So, I was hitchhiking before I was even born. I was in the womb and I was on the road. Um, I tried to ask my mom about like details about hitchhiking, and she really didn't have too many details to share, but. Basically, they got a few rides, you know, scattered rides. She said she didn't like the experience, and part of it was hitchhiking with my dad. He was apparently uh, quite a bastard to travel with and just to, to live with in general. But the, so they started out from Mexico, got into California, and somewhere around the desert, they got a ride with this guy who was like a furniture moving guy or something like that. And he gave them work. He let them sleep in the back of his truck with like the mattresses and everything, which is pretty <laughs> plush. Um And they got to New Hampshire, back to New Hampshire. He took them almost all the way back up there. But some highlights, I was asking for, like, strategies, you know, methods they'd learned. And apparently my dad would sometimes go to a fast food restaurant and ask if they had any food they were about to throw away and then come, like, during closing time and get boxes of food for them. And they were traveling with the dog. Um, He would, like, look around for cigarette butts that people had left. You know, he'd kind of collect those, and that's how he would keep smoking. He was a chain smoker, didn't have money to buy cigarettes. I mean, they were flat broke. When I say broke, I don't mean, like, they didn't have much money. They had no money. Um, There's another guy, a trucker, that picked them up. She always told me the story about this guy all the way when I was growing up, where he'd, like, bite into an apple and— he could eat like things like an apple and nuts with no teeth. He had didn't have a tooth in his head. <laughs> but he let them sleep in the back of his truck, and oh, I don't know what he did, but he, he just kind of, yeah. So he was a great host to them. So she's got a lot of interestingly good stories in this overall bad experience she describes. So I grew up with tales of hitchhiking. For me, it was normalized, you know, where other people might have just heard like a horror movie about the hitchhiker. For me, it was something I grew up with hearing stories that even though they were like supposedly not describing the best experience, to me as a kid, they were very exciting. They sounded very liberating and free, like, wow, they traveled all the way across this great big country with nothing, just throwing their thumb out. Um, another thing she said they did is my dad would ask her to go put her thumb out. And um, <laughs> then when they pulled over, my dad would like kind of appear from the shadows. And uh, she said more often than not, the people would seem kind of um, like the awkward situation of just like getting out of there. They'd kind of like suck it up and like, all right, I'll give you a ride. And she was pregnant. Like, she was pregnant. Very pregnant. Yeah. I, I did not approve of that tactic. I, <laughs> I don't like the kind of bait and switch thing. I found other ways to hitchhike, but apparently it worked for them. Um, and you were there when she was kind of talking a little bit about it. Is there anything else that jumps into your head that I'm leaving out about how they hitchhiked? Yeah, I can't think of anything that you haven't covered. So I'm just going to switch some of your stories around on okay. your list here. I'll start with that one. He's an anarchist, so why do I even try to <laughs> create something? True that. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, where are we now? Oh, you jumped around, too. I'm not the only anarchist. No, you already talked about the experience of the Mountains of yeah. Sea Trail. Do you want to talk more about that? No. Nope. Because you didn't. Nope. 
That so. was that was all one. See, you did all of that. You talked about shelter, water, fire, food. Okay. Well, I guess my next hitchhiking experience we wanted to share <laughs> um, is after that. I remember one time that my dad needed to get to Durham, North Carolina. We lived in a place called Butner. And it's quite a walk. It's only like one county over, but um, we needed to get license plates or something that had to do with the car. And my dad and I didn't have any kind of relationship. I didn't really hang out with him. Um, There was a couple times he took me fishing, stuff like that. So it was unusual for him to ask me to come with him, especially for such a, a long walk. But my dad had recognized through his experiences, take advantage of the things that work. Mm-hmm. And he knew that a, a single man walking with a child <laughs> was a lot more apt to get a ride than a single oh man by God. himself. He's a master manipulator. <laughs> yeah, but it, it was kind of a positive experience for me. I mean, there was the awkwardness of hanging out with my dad who like, you know, we never had a, a, a lot of camaraderie. So that was always kind of a, oh, I guess I'll, you know, suck it up and just plot along. And... But I do remember him instructing me on how to hitchhike. He told me to turn around when I threw my thumb out and face traffic. Um, And that's something that I have discovered that I don't need to do all the time. I I don't bother doing that unless, you know, we'll talk about still hitchhiking versus roving hitchhiking. But so that was kind of a a neat thing. And a guy did indeed pull us over and gave us a ride all the way to the mall, went a little bit out of his way, which you'll find people often do. They'll go out of their way. Um, People really are kind when you're hitchhiking for the most part. Um, and that's one of my favorite things about hitchhiking. So there was that experience and over to you, Teresa. Woo, my goodness. Yeah, I never really hitchhiked. Like I said, Gumby was the first time that I had uh, ever encountered that mode of transportation. Well, actually, that's not true. There was one time that I picked up a hitchhiker. And let's see, where are we? Um, you talked about that strategy? Yeah, I talked a little bit about facing traffic or back turn to, uh, to traffic, but go ahead and talk a little bit more about that if you want to. And also, like, I, I want to talk more about the Mountains of Sea trip because that's something that we started doing routinely. Um, it was our strategy as we stayed out longer and longer to park Teresa's car at a place to hike. And I think the longest we hiked on the Mountains of Sea trail so far was eight days. Yeah, something like that. It so was then so wherever nice. we, we had to turn around at, we'd leave one day to get back to the car and hitchhike. And we started realizing over time that that was one of our favorite parts of the trip <laughs> was the hitchhiking. And also, more and more, the Mountains of Sea Trail, the route had us walking on roads. So we were hitchhiking going out as well until we'd come to a trailhead. Um, but yeah, it was really nice. I loved walking on the road. It reminded me of how much fun it is to scavenge, to oh, see yeah. things on the side of the road. I got like a shirt that I wore for a while. Um, just all kinds of random stuff. One time I was picking up all the landscaping twine I could find and my pockets were bulging out. <laughs> I ended up making like something with all that landscaping twine. But hitchhiking was a really enjoyable part and that inspired us to want to actually take a trip that was just hitchhiking, not just a, a way to do the Mountains to Sea Trail. So I just wanted to add that. I guess that'll segue into um, big cities versus middle of nowhere. Because a lot of times we were hitchhiking kind of in the middle of nowhere. um, And the directions for the mountains to the sea trail had us going in really weird routes just to get like from point A to point B. it It would take you like all around this crazy mess. And so people would you know, hear us saying like, well, it says to turn right here and, and then follow this. And they're like, but it's right over there. And it's like, yeah, but this is the, (laughs) this is the directions that we have. So 
Um, being picked up in the middle of nowhere is definitely helpful when you're hitchhiking or backpacking and trying to get a little further down the road. I guess I'll go ahead and tell my story too about my very first experience with hitchhiking. And that was when I picked up a hitchhiker in the middle of nowhere. And I had, I had reserved this cabin that was 46 miles down a dirt road in northern Montana. It was about, it was less than 10 miles from the Canadian border. So it was really out in the middle of nowhere. And I had the intention of driving to Glacier National Park when I saw this well, man, probably late 40s, early 50s, and a puppy. And he also had a small, the smallest, most ridiculous-sized gasoline can. And I thought to myself, all right, I mean, he's got a puppy, so <laughs> he can't be, you know, that bad, right? And I'm by myself, and the only way that I could defend myself was in the very back of this rental car, which ended up being a, um, like an SUV that I had. But I said, okay, what the hell? So I picked this guy up and his dog and the dog's just yelping and, and howling because the gas can is stinking really bad. So I, I said, why don't, why don't we stop and put the gas can in the back of the SUV? And I was thinking, oh, maybe I could put it and get my knife <laughs> but it didn't work out that way so he just gets back in and I'm like all right you know where are you headed and he's like well I gotta go into town and I was assuming by what he was carrying that he needed gas but he said nah that's just a prop for to help you know with getting picked up and I'm thinking oh my god and so is the puppy right so at this point I'm kind of freaking out but he says no he has to go pay for something in town and um he would ask this woman that he's kind of interested in, but she has a boyfriend at the at this moment, but it won't be a problem for long. And I'm thinking, oh my God. <laughs> but he assured me that he thought of me as a very nice girl and there's not too many nice girls left in the, wor- in the world anymore. And it was all based on the fact, he, he said I was a nice girl because there was a Jethro Tull song, song playing when he got in the car. Um, I didn't even know who Jethro Tull was. It just happened to be playing on the car radio. So I, uh, I attribute Jethro Tull to saving my life that day. Hmm. It was kind of scary. I, I wouldn't recommend um, if you're out in the middle of nowhere and you're a female just randomly picking up hitchhikers, although that certainly has happened to us on our Mountains to the Sea Trail adventures, just getting picked up by like random Christian moms with their baby asleep in the back and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Love those Christian moms. Uh, yeah, I know you do. Um, let's see. So, yeah, so I talked about hitchhiking with my dad. And because I had that little bit of experience, the stories I heard growing up and then hitchhiking with my dad, when I got to be older, like, I don't know, maybe early teens, my friends and I would routinely hitchhike just to go into town, you know, to leave uh, my house and get into town, which was a long walk. But um, we just throw a thumb out and sometimes we get picked up by strangers, sometimes people we knew, but it was always just a really easy thing. You know, somebody pulled over and like we jump into the back of their pickup truck. You got to love the late eighties and early nineties <laughs> and go into town. So that was my next experience with it. And that's kind of where it stayed for years. I mean, I didn't hitchhike. I kind of moved on with my life, you know, got out of high school to be a hobo <clears throat> and I procrastinated 
for years. You know, every spring it was like, this is going to be the year I hit the road and, and I'm going to be a hobo. And I didn't really have a clear idea whether that was hitchhiking, jumping trains. I just figured I'd head out and figure it out as I went. But what finally inspired me after all this procrastinating, after all this, like just getting into the party scene, doing a lot of drugs, you know, just my friends always saying like, yeah, I want to do that. And then they'd procrastinate and I'd be like, well, what the hell? I'll procrastinate too was I got put in jail for a month over Christmas and New Year's Eve for possession of stolen goods. And that was the best thing that could have happened to me. Because when I'm sitting in there, suddenly it totally changes my, um, I guess, perspective on what is a good thing. Because now I can't get in the sunlight. I can't go out. I, I... You know, the only outdoors I can see is a little slit at the top of this wall. I'm stuck in here with all these fucking assholes. And, like, it's a 15-man cell, and they've got 30 people in there. And I'm sleeping on the floor, and you're stepping over people. And people are stepping over you every night. And, you know, in jail, jail sucks because they don't divide anybody up. I was in there for possession of stolen goods as a kid, just kind of a stupid thing I got involved in. I was in there with people that were still tweaked out on the fucking drugs that they were on when they just killed somebody. Oh, my God. You know, and they're like fucking freaking out. So a month of that was traumatic for me. And when they finally let me out, I knew that I was going to hit the road and be a hobo. Like it was time, you know, like all I wanted was all the things that the road offered, the freedom, the constant being outside, the the privacy of being able to dive into any bit of woods I wanted to and just sit there as long as I damn wanted to. Jail taught me to value a lot of the simple things that I couldn't see before being locked up. So what I did was I signed up for a wilderness survival class, the standard course of Tom Brown's Tracking Nature and Wilderness Survival School in 98 in New Jersey. I found an old busted up Schwinn Typhoon bicycle in a tobacco barn. Oh, this is the bike one. Took it to a bike shop, got new tires on it, got the chain, got it running, little one-speed, you know, old Pee Wee Herman Schwinn. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. And got my big hiking backpack, put that on, and I just headed out from North Carolina. I gave myself a month to get up there, and lo and behold, I made it up there in two weeks. And I'll never forget what it was like, like crossing that Mason-Dixon line, and like, wow, I am actually traveling through states on a little bicycle. Yeah, you are. And I think I was trying to prove to my friends who were getting these big, expensive bicycles with all the gears, like it's not the bicycle, it's the rider. You know, they just had it sitting in their apartment, and maybe they'd take it to a park now and then. I wanted to show them, like, no, you can get any piece of crap bike and hit the road. Like, you know, it's your will. That's the thing that matters. So I got up there. I'm two weeks early for class, and I decided to wait it out in a cave in New Jersey. Um, I find this cave in the woods. It's kind of in the mountains. And I didn't know my plants very well back then. Always been allergic to poison ivy. Get in this cave. There's a plant there that I'm not feeling too good about. I don't know how to identify poison ivy, but that plant is kind of like sketchy. I don't know. It's giving me a bad feeling. Oh, my God. After sleeping there that night, not the most comfortable night's sleep, I wake up and I can feel it. By that point, I know when my body is having that reaction it does to poison ivy. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, I'm about to have poison ivy really bad. I just slept in a bed of it. Oh, my God. So in a panic... I go to the nearby truck stop, which is a short walk away. I, I leave my bike in that cave, and I can't remember if I wrote on a piece of cardboard or if I threw my thumb out, but, you know, all I was thinking was, I got to get home. Like, I do not want to be out here by myself, like, all swollen up with blisters, and hitchhiked, and, get, and I remember, like, getting stuck on some back roads and just walking and hitchhiking, walking and hitchhiking, like, just all my energy was in the hitchhiking. 
and uh, getting pretty good rides. And it was like my willpower held off the poison ivy. I remember it took me a day or two, and usually I would have been all swollen up by then, but I wasn't. But as soon as I got home, bam, the poison ivy hit. I had two weeks to recover, and then I hitchhiked back up to New Jersey, and that was my first long-distance hitchhiking. Took the class, got a ride with a student on the way back that lived in South Carolina, so he uh, went up to my cave when he heard my story and was like, oh, man, you can't leave that bike here like that. You, you're going to want that. So he throws that in the back of his pickup truck Aww. and takes me and my bike back home, and uh, that was my kind of introduction to like, wow, I can do this. I can actually travel significant distances just by throwing a thumb out. And uh, that was kind of a world-changing experience for me. Did you have anything else to say about big cities versus the middle of nowhere? No, that's yours. Oh, okay. I already did it then. Because, um, I mean, we'll talk more about, like, the different hitchhiking trips that we've done together. I mean, nothing particularly off the top of my head other than I guess we're going to talk more detail about being in the big city because we have experienced firsthand that those are challenges. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Um, so... Something that Gumby taught me that's really important when you're hitchhiking is never be in a hurry. Be patient. The ride will come, and the the right ride will come to you. So, Gumby, can I uh, hear it from you? Because it's, I don't know. Well, um, you know, when I was hitchhiking by myself, it's one thing to make a decision for yourself and to feel like, all right, I'm undertaking this risk. I understand as well as I can the risk. I'm choosing to take it. I take responsibility for that. I'm on the road. But then when somebody, particularly a female, wants to hitchhike with you and she's never (laughs) done it before and she's kind of looking to you for like guidance, the person that has the experience, that really made me think about hitchhiking differently. You know, like it's one thing for me to accept the dangers. It's another thing to feel like, wow, if something goes wrong here, I got to live for the rest of my life with like whatever happens. And, you know, if it happens to somebody else, that can be quite a bit harder. That's, that's a burden to carry. So one of the ways that I tried to explain to Teresa to be safe is we cannot be in a hurry. Our biggest enemy is to be rash, to be in a rush. So in other words, when we throw our thumb out, if there's anything, any reason, just some gut feeling based on nothing that we feel like, I don't want this ride then we just come up with some excuse. And if it's a shitty story, if somebody's like, wow, you know, what the fuck's wrong with you people? What do we care? We don't know this person. We might've just saved ourselves from getting a ride that might've like changed our lives for the worse. So to never be in a hurry, whatever our destination is, we'll get there when we get there. No rush. That, that was my number one rule for hitchhiking. Um, and there have been a couple rides I've turned down, not many, but just bad feelings. And were they bad rides? I'll never know. But I don't feel regretful for having turned them down. I don't look back and feel like, oh man, I was stupid. I should have gotten that ride. Because another ride did come along. I was right. Another ride is going to come along. There's no reason to take chances out there for getting a ride. So yeah, that was something I really wanted to impress upon Teresa. Yeah. And there, there've been just a very, very few number of rides that I would say were oh, maybe we should have just turned them down. But it turned out that it wasn't, it didn't get bad because we also, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later, we also knew when it was time to bail out. And if you're interested, by the way, like we'll talk a little bit about some of the stories we have from the road, but we recently updated our website 
there's a page that has to do with our hitchhiking adventures and there's even pictures of like the people that gave us rides if you ever want to know what people that give rides to hitchhikers look like they look like all kind of different things and uh so yeah so all in all like over 90 I'd say over 95 percent of the rides have been really positive experiences yeah I would definitely agree with that I'd even add that percentage to higher yeah um and another thing I tell Teresa in that vein while we're talking about it is even a bad ride can be a good ride as long as you know when to part ways Mm. so you know if let's say a serial killer picks you up um there's a point where (laughs) they might do something to you but if they pick you up and they give you a ride like a couple miles down the road and then you part ways with that person before anything happens, you just got two miles down the road, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So that's what I mean, that even a bad ride can be a good ride. For me, the whole art is knowing when to part ways. Like when I start, and I guess you've got it on the list to talk more about those red flags and yes. everything. So yeah. I won't get into that too much right now. But uh yeah, to continue my hitchhiking experience after that trip from New Jersey, the very next thing that same year was I signed up for a vision quest in Idaho. And, uh, you know, I had the bug, like, just to travel, <laughs> to, to adventure. It was like, this is it. You know, I'm, I'm finally undertaking this thing that I've been planning since I was a kid. So I get back to North Carolina, and it's like, you know, I just got, I don't know, maybe a month between that and the vision quest. And I'm thinking, I don't want to work. You know, it doesn't make sense to try to put my energy into a job, and I don't even think I want to work for my life. You know, it just isn't the path I'm walking. So I decide, well, what the hell? If I'm going to Idaho, let's continue this. Let's push it. Can I hitchhike out there? And I get my mom and her boyfriend to give me a ride to a local truck stop, sit out there for a while, and I'm pretty sure I started using cardboard for this. And I've learned with cardboard to keep my destination loose. Um, So in other words, I just put west you know, yeah. instead of Idaho, because what what that translates to is a lot of people will look at that sign and say, I'm not going to Idaho. I can't help them out. But if people see West, they'll be like, well, I'm going West. And that might actually get you a significant amount of the way out there. So I just had West and I get my sign more specific the closer I get to my destination. First ride I get was with this trucker. Um, he called himself Hey Boy. And he was also a Lewis and Clark interpreter. So that was really cool. You know, we had a lot to talk about wilderness survival and everything. He was really into, like, homesteading the old ways. You know, he was more kind of the the white colonialist type of survival. I was moving more and more into the indigenous type of survival. But there was a lot of overlap there, a shared interest. We got along really well. I remember one of his favorite jokes is we'd pass those falling rock signs, like, watch for falling rocks. And he would tell me this long story about how Falling Rocks was this Native American that used to live in these hills, and <laughs> he would attack people, and that um, they never did find him. And for all we know, that he might still be out there. So those are like, you know, <laughs> places to watch for this this Indian that might come out of the woods and like attack motorists. Watch for Falling Rocks. Um, but he was just that kind of old uncle kind of guy, you know, that had these corny jokes. That just the way he delivered them, they were funny. But we were getting along fine until we passed a clear cut. And this was a big lesson in hitchhiking for me because I said something just offhand about how much I hated loggers, like cutting down this forest. And turns out his whole family was loggers. So the rest of the ride was a little awkward. You know, we got past it, but it, it definitely hurt our relationship. And he got me all the way to Kansas, all the way from North Carolina to Kansas. And um, I always felt bad about that. I learned my lesson about being more careful about what I talked about. 
you can talk about politics and religion when you're hitchhiking if you're paying attention to your person that you're with. And you should be anyway. Yeah. Yeah, you really need to be paying attention. So there are people you can get into really controversial topics with, but you've got to read them. You've got to develop that awareness. If you're just kind of la, la, la in your own little bubble, you're going to get into trouble, and it could be bad trouble. Um, So, yeah, I learned that I don't need that guy to agree with me. I don't need to agree with him. I could have kept my damn mouth shut. We could have had a great ride, and, you know, it would have been fine. Um, But, yeah, I kept hitchhiking. I stayed in my first homeless shelter when I finally got to Idaho. Um, How was that experience? Yeah, it was unremarkable. It wasn't bad. It wasn't good. But after one night there, I was like, I think I'm better off sleeping under bridges and everything. (laughs) You know, the bed was not that attractive because there were all these, like, tweaked-out homeless people that were under their own stressful situations. The free food wasn't that good. I was doing just as well, kind of scavenging. Um, the dumpster diving wasn't as good as it was in North Carolina, which Teresa and I just ran into with our road trip in the minivan this year. Um, but yeah, I do remember one ride that pulled over when I was hitchhiking and I was walking. I had the sign on my back that said West and just kind of threw my thumb out when I heard a, a vehicle behind me. Guy pulled over and just this car exuded bad energy. Like even the way he pulled over, the way he looked at me, his eyes were like all pupils. You know, it was like I was looking into this black hole, like this guy didn't have a soul. Everything about this ride just gave me a feeling like, man, if I get in this car, I might not get out. Damn. That was the first time I I passed up a ride. Just said, no thanks. And, uh, you know, the guy just kind of rode off a little bit of awkwardness, but fuck it. You know, I felt good about that decision. (laughs) Got to Idaho, hung around there, got a ride to... Harrison, Idaho, from Quarter Lane. Quarter Lane was the homeless shelter, and Harrison was where I took the vision quest. Four days and four nights sitting in the woods, fasting in your little vision quest circle. And the guy that owned the ranch we were on was either John Muir's grandson or great-grandson, like some relation to John Muir. Hmm. (laughs) But interestingly, as I'm walking up this long road to get there, all the students of the class passed me, and none of them picked me up. Oh, come on. So that was kind of interesting, you know. I'm thinking, like, these are my people, the people that attend classes like this, and not a damn one of them would extend themselves or risk themselves to give me a ride. Um, so I take that. I get a, get a ride with this optometrist that was taking the vision quest out, out of there. And the first place he takes me to is, I think, a Taco Bell. And I'm barely there for a minute before this guy is like, hey, you trying to get a ride? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, where are you heading? And I tell him, you know, I guess I'm going west, you know, from there. That was my only goal was to do the vision quest. And now I'm thinking, I'm not ready to go home. I want to go further. I made it this far. So I want to go to Alaska. And the guy says, he's going to Alaska. (laughs) As I get a ride with him, his story is that he's from Florida, just found out he's got stomach cancer. So he thinks he's going to die pretty soon. And he is panhandling his way all the way to Alaska. His two goals are to get to Alaska and to stay drunk. So (laughs) he wants a designated driver. So I do a lot of the driving. Um, I remember I was with him for a couple of nights where he'd pull the car over someplace. I'd go, like, set up my camping equipment. He'd stay in the car. And, uh, you know, I'd go and meet up with him the next morning. And every morning, like, I'd hear him say really loud, he'd lean out the car And he'd piss and he'd say, thank you, Jesus, for giving me a long dick. So, yeah, I'm getting a ride with this guy. We get up towards Washington, Blaine, Washington. We're about to cross the border, and the guy starts getting really nervous about my record. He says, man, have you you got any kind of criminal record? Because they're not going to let us through if you do. And I'm like, well, i got a couple little things, but nothing that should, like, stop us from getting through the border. 
Uh, I let him know I got a little pot pipe. By the way, I found a pot pipe on the side of the road, and I had a little weed with me. He makes me throw that out, so I toss that. <laughs> we get to the border. Oh, the guys do. check me out, no problem. Then they check him out, and this guy's got a record longer than my leg. I mean, <laughs> they take his car apart. They take my backpack apart. They find my sheath knife and ask me why I'm carrying a weapon. And I say, it's not a weapon. It's a tool. Oh, I say, if it was a weapon, I would have killed somebody with it. It's a tool. I whittle with it. So, you know, <laughs> I get into a debate with them up there. But we just kind of, like, crash there. We can't get through. Despondently, we walk around the fishing boats in Blaine, Washington, and both get a, a job working on a fishing boat, the Milo which is run by this guy, Wayne. I won't say his last name, even though he's a bastard, I should say his last name. <laughs> but we work on the boat for a while. This guy eventually, like after a couple weeks work, getting the boat ready, just disappears. And he's got all my gear in his car. Oh, I didn't no. take my gear out of his car. So he disappears with my backpack. Um, no, I think I had my backpack, but like so many of my clothes and stuff like that were in his car, oh, just vanishes. So I have to like go to a thrift store and kind of re-up my stuff. Go up the inside passage, work and catch a can for the season. Um, and this guy, Wayne, on the Milo, oh, my God, he's like Montgomery Burns on The Simpsons. He would yell at us, like, all day, like, Jesus fucking Christ, a goddamn kid could do it. Get out of my fucking way. Jesus fucking Christ. Wow, that's good. All day, yeah. <laughs> Whew, man, this guy. And then, like, he told me to expect like about $12,000 for the fishing season. I make about 4,000 after mm. he mails the check to me and I'm already back in North Carolina. Hitchhike back for the most part, good rides and everything. I get to Ohio and some fat salesman picks me up and you start really getting good at like <laughs> reading the way people pull over. I don't know what it is, but some people pull over in a way that gives you a bad feeling. This guy gave me a bad feeling. I got in the car, we're going down the road for a ways, and the guy asked me something about sex. Like, he asked me, like, so, I guess, do you, like, meet up with many girls out here? And, uh, or are you straight? And I said, yeah, I'm straight. And then, like, just not thinking about what I'm saying, I'm like, I guess I haven't been much of anything lately. Mm. You know, and I guess he took that, like, oh, maybe I'm not straight. So then the guy asked me if he can put his hand on my crotch. I'd never had a guy ask me something like that before, so I was feeling really awkward. I said, no, I think I need to get out right here. He pulls over. I get my backpack out, and it kind of freaks me out. I don't hitchhike for the rest of the day. I go under a bridge, and I'm just kind of a little shaken by the experience, even though it doesn't sound like, you know, very traumatic. But for me at the time, it was um, that a, a man would make an advance on me. Um, and shortly after that, I get a job working at Amish barns, tearing down barns with this guy. His name was Guy. And he would pick up vagrants. Uh, everybody else was a crackhead, and he'd pay them in crack. But since I didn't want crack, um, he kept stalling me, saying he was going to pay me and never did. And eventually I had to, to leave, never got paid by that guy. So got screwed over a lot working on the road. Uh, volunteered for another class in New Jersey and made my way back. And, of course, there's a whole bunch of little stories I'm probably forgetting, but that would be a whole podcast in itself. <laughs> but that was my big hitchhiking adventure for quite a while was uh, 1998, the year I was a hobo. And and did you say, like, you hadn't really hitchhiked since then until we started hitchhiking? Well, I thought about that until this podcast. That's what I used to, to say. But then when I started writing down the times I've hitchhiked, I realized there actually were a couple more hitchhiking oh. adventures I had that I had just forgotten in the, the flurry of life. But all that experience that you had going cross-country, um, you learned a little bit more about 
just like what you can get away with, maybe what is illegal, but if you're just kind of prepared for it, like walking on the interstate, for example. Yeah, in the middle of nowhere. Like I avoided cities. I had no experience hitchhiking in cities because I'd go miles out of my way not to hit a city. If a trucker said he was going to like go through a city, I'd say, can you drop me off at the town before that? And I would find another route around it. I just Mm. was really biased against cities. For good reason. Yeah. (laughs) I did try the middle of nowhere out in Colorado. I got dropped off. I want to say it was like Lyman or something. I don't even know if that's a town in eastern Colorado and decided I'd take a back road. Maybe I wasn't seeing enough of the country and I'd never been on the prairie before. Oh, my God. I walked and walked and walked and did not see a single car. I told the story in season one, uh, Fight for the Right to Potty, but I eventually had to take a shit. And there's nothing as far as the eye can see. I hadn't seen a car, so I was like, well, I just got to suck it up and make the best of it. I got behind my backpack as well as I could, started taking a shit. Here comes the first line of cars of the day, including a school bus. And all the kids are like looking at me and pointing and like, look at that hobo taking a shit. So I had to tear pages out of my journal to wipe my ass. And oh, my God. It was it was a brutal experience. It taught me to not not necessarily not to be in the middle of nowhere, but to recognize that it is its own gamble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess um, a little bit more about what Gumby had learned on his trips, because uh, when you first started out, what did you do for hygiene, like as far as bathing or just... Because when you get in somebody else's car, a lot of times you realize, like, okay, I don't smell super fresh. It's hard because my memories of this are kind of like little little bubbles, you know. It's hard for me to have a cohesive picture in my mind of this. But I do remember submerging in, like, bodies of water. One of them was really nasty. It was like a mill pond, and it just stunk really mm-hmm. bad. And at the time, I thought it was my only choice. So I just sucked it up and submerged in it, washed off. Um, I remember using jewel weed. I had learned jewel weed from my wilderness survival class. So there were times that I didn't find places to bathe, but I'd get jewel weed and like crush it up and ball it up and use that as a sponge all over my body, which made me feel much cleaner and better. Um, I remember coming to a river in Montana and just like, I didn't really understand how to wash my clothes as well as I do now. I thought I had to kind of have a zero day, a day that I didn't move so I could wash them and like hang them up and dry them. So I just sat there by the river and bathed, and as I'm sitting there, I hear something like, and this big old cow moose comes running out (laughs) of the woods, and I'm just frozen stiff like I'd never seen anything that damn big in my life. (laughs) It came running out and ran into the river and stood there and stared at me for a minute and continued on her way, but yeah, that was a pretty pretty cool experience with the wildlife of Montana, like something totally outside of my realm of experience at the time. And hygiene, I mean, it can be a challenge if you don't know how to just get by. Because when we were hitchhiking, we were able to, even though, you know, trying to avoid big cities, if we got to a town or city where there was a bathroom that we could use, you could just splash up or, you know, just go in the bathroom and kind of clean the pits and be Jennies, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so hygiene on the road, it can be done. And one of the things I learned is blue lines on a map. Like you can go in a gas station. It's good if you can carry a map, um, but often you're near a place where even if you don't have a map, you can go and check one in the gas station. They usually don't give you too much hassle as long as you're not, you know, really stinky and obviously like a dirty vagrant, you know, just try to look as normal as you can. Use what you got. Go in there, gently unfold the map. Don't tear it. 
check it out. Blue lines. Blue lines are interstates, and they are, for the most part, illegal to hitchhike on. You can hitchhike them, but you have to use the ramps. Don't get on the road. And um, I learned to enjoy those, especially for long-distance rides, and it gave me an excuse not to walk. So at that time, usually on other roads, I would walk and hitchhike. I'd have my cardboard sign on the back of my backpack, throw out my thumb when I heard a vehicle coming behind me. Um, but on an on-ramp, I do kind of my dad's style of hitchhiking where I'd face the traffic. And, you know, you don't want to have too big of a smile and you look like a freaking maniac. But try to look friendly, you know, like often it's not too hard, actually. Like you might think hitchhiking, like how am I going to look friendly? You know, I'm hitchhiking out here. It sucks. But it really doesn't. You're standing there and often it's a pretty day. It's amazing how many days are actually pretty when you stop to like look for it. So I've had so many good times. I was uh, standing on an on-ramp and like in the shade on a sunny day or in the sun on a chilly day. My thumb out and just kind of, you know, my little Mona Lisa smile. Like I'm harmless. <laughs> um, and people would pull over and give me a ride. Um, but yeah, the blue lines, like they are tricky and I did sometimes, if I got too sick of staying at a certain location, I would use the fact that they're illegal. I'd start walking until a cop would pull over. And I found that if I was really friendly, that most of the time the cop would give me a ride to the next overpass and maybe I'd have better luck at the next overpass. You know, I'd just say, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't realize it. Like, um, I guess I'll just try to get to the next overpass as quick as I can and get off this road. And he'd usually say, well, climb in. I did have one cop tell me to turn around and go back to the last overpass. Oh, so <laughs> that on. fucking sucked. So, again, that's one of those gambles. Anytime you're interacting with a cop, it's a gamble. Because, let's face it, they've got a lot of power over you. And depending on what kind of asshole is behind that badge, I mean, there's all kinds of bad things that could happen. So, for the most part, I just avoid cops. But that was one way I'd try to kind of use the situation. Anything else that you've learned um, as far as... I don't know, like things that you can get away with. I guess, I guess that main one w about the blue lines is you, c you can walk on the interstate, but just know that if a cop passes you, they're probably either going to give you a ride if you have a, a friendly disposition with them or, or quite possibly be a dick and make you turn back around. Yeah. Nothing I can think of that I would really get away with. Um, and there's signs too that say, you know, no pedestrians. Sometimes they even go as far as like um, like near an on-ramp, there's a sign that's like a thumb <laughs> with a, a no symbol, like a red symbol. Yeah, on the if you look at that sign. hitchhiking link on our webpage, there's actually a picture of me standing next to that sign. <laughs> but uh, yeah, for the most part, I never felt like I was under um, danger, in danger of actually being arrested. Um, but again, like I have learned how to talk to police for the most part. Again, it's not a guarantee, but I'm deferential. I'm apologetic because no matter what I think about the police, the government, whatever, I, I've learned that's not the place to choose my battle. He's going to win that battle. So it's just stupid. Um, so just to kind of get through it, talk my way through it. And uh, it doesn't seem like cops want to go through the paperwork and the hassle of picking up a hitchhiker because more times than not, you're going to get in front of the judge and the judge is going to think it's stupid himself you know like what you picked up this guy for hitchhiking like i mean he probably needed to that's probably why his thumbs out so yeah we've even had cops say to us you know you don't have money to get a like a a taxi or a bus ticket or something and it's like no and that's that's st that starts to soften them because then they're realizing oh this is 
this really is your mode of transportation at the moment. Yeah, and there are some cops who remember that they are, in fact, human beings <laughs> yeah. um, underneath that badge. And we've run into, we've actually had, especially with the Mountains of Sea Trail, we've gotten really good rides with cops. Cops that have picked us up and gone way out of their way to take us back to our car. Yeah, like crossed county lines to get us back to our car. Yeah, I remember this one cop. He was like a homicide I don't think he was a detective, but he had to, he is, he talked about forensics detective. Yeah. And he didn't even ask us like any questions that, you know, a lot of times cops will feel like it's their job to sort of like in a fatherly way, sort of lecture you, even if they decided they're not going to give you any real trouble. He didn't even do that. He didn't ask us our names, didn't ask about ID, nothing. He just straight up gave us a ride across like two counties and told us a lot of cool stories. Yeah. So <laughs> the, even though I am dead set against the job of police enforcement and the laws and the way they get made, um, often what you find yourself dealing with are human beings that happen to have badges on their chest. So that's kind of a nice awakening, too, because I find if I don't put myself out there and run into that, things get too theoretical and all I can see is the badge. I forget that some of those people are, in fact, human beings. You know, I just see them as the enemy. So yeah, I would say that's part of my experience with it. And a lot of times when people pick you up, whether it's a cop or just, you know, some dude that's just going back to work or something, they're interested in either telling you a story or you telling them your stories about your adventure. And we, we run into that a lot. And um, books about hitchhiking are not, they're, they're in no way a comparison to actually doing it. But Gumby got this one book from the library, and it was talking about hitchhiking in Japan. So it's called The Hokkaido Highway Blues, Hitchhiking Japan by Will Ferguson. And it had some really funny stories in there about uh, specifically Japanese people picking up hitchhikers and some of the uh, the things that they would say, some of his experiences, and that was just going to be a segue into talking about hitchhiking in California. Well, you want to go ahead and mention the other book, too, because kind of what I want to say applies to both books. Oh, sure. The other book that we sort of kind of read together was called <laughs> Carsick, John Waters Hitchhikes Across America. And Fabulous! Every time Gumby read a story from the book, he took on this persona sometimes <laughs> sometimes still comes out um, his John Waters voice. But yeah, so those two books were um, about hitchhiking. John Waters' book, I think, was a little bit, it was made up. And John Waters is like flamboyantly gay. And <laughs> I don't say this to be offensive, and if it offends somebody, I don't really care. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. Like, I mean, he wasn't just like a man that happens to be gay and wrote a book. It was over the top. Like he talked about his fantasies. Like there were so many chapters about like, oh, in this ride, this guy pulled out his great big thick cock. And like, you know, I wrote it like a motherfucker. And, you know, so I, I had a lot of fun, like trying to honor John Waters by uh, reading it in the gayest possible voice. I could. It was a highly entertaining book because he wrote it like that. Yeah. And then the other book was just... It was just funny because a lot of the people that picked him up in Japan, the Hokkaido Highway Blues book, um, they would say to him right off the bat, like, people don't hitch up, pick up hitchhikers in Japan. Yeah, and he'd say over and over, like, well, you did. And they just look <laughs> kind of puzzled. But both books, the reason why we mentioned these two books, I've read some other how-to books. I haven't found them to be that useful. I mean, it's kind of a lot of common sense stuff. And if you start hitchhiking, there's a lot of things that are going to be unique to your style. So I feel like we're kind of covering all that stuff 
as much as we can, you know, with the blinders of our own limited experience. Otherwise, these books are for entertainment, and they were both very entertaining. I would recommend both of them. If you're homophobic, you don't want to read the John Waters book. It's graphic. I don't consider myself homophobic, so I thought it was pretty damn funny, especially <laughs> reading it in a big gay voice. Um, and the Hokkaido Highway Blues. Yeah, so if you're interested in hitchhiking or have, in fact, hitchhiked yourself, I think you'll find both of these books, especially the Hokkaido Highway Blues. I thought that was the funnier book, but very entertaining. Yeah, so um, did you encounter, like, how was your hitchhiking in California? Well, years later, after 98, my my year hitchhiking, I was um, into, like, trying to find jobs in exotic places, like little temporary jobs. And one of the jobs that I got was in Hawaii, working on a nani tree farm. And it sounded awesome. The guy was like, "Um, yeah, if you come over, like, there's, like, people from all over the world. You know, we've actually got too many women living here right now. So, you know, it's kind of (laughs) not... I'm like, oh, that's a damn shame. I'll see what I can do about that. (laughs) So, you know, you've got like a little cabin with no electricity on the beach. You only work an hour a day on this nani tree farm. I mean, it just sounded like, hell yeah, sign me up. So (laughs) I got a a ticket to Hawaii. There's women from all over the world living in cabins with no electricity on the beach. Um, I get there and... It turns out you work two hours a day officially on the nani tree farm, which is grueling, messy, messy work. And these nani, nani fruits, they stink. Ooh, they stink. But the guy, he knew damn well he didn't have any cabins that were available. The people that had lived in those cabins had been living in them for years. Hmm. So he left that part out. So I had to stay in the compound where he was. And even though the two hours of official work were only two hours. He needed stuff done all day. You were constantly working, (laughs) doing him favors. So, um, and he was a Hare Krishna, which nothing against Hare Krishnas, but part of that was them (laughs) chanting all night. So I'm in this compound, I've got no privacy. And then they're doing the Hare Krishna. I don't remember how it goes, but it was loud, you know, it'd keep me up. It wasn't my thing. Enforced veganism. I'm not a vegan, but no meat is allowed there. So I'd have to like sneak like I was doing a bad thing every time I wanted like some protein. So after a week of that, I was just done with it. I was like, you know, screw this. I'm not even going to say goodbye. I'm going to pack up my shit. I'm going to sneak out the next day which was kind of my M.O. back then, you know, I didn't bother saying goodbye. If I was done with something, I just left. I had to like leave a little note. Tried to hitchhike in Hawaii. Um, I think I got discouraged really quick and got a bus ticket. Um, getting off Hawaii with like a little bit, little money and trying to organize planes, it was it was about as hard as getting off of Gilligan's Island. Oh, my God. I mean, I finally got to California with the idea I'd hitchhike the rest of the way home. So I spent a full day, I think maybe I was in San Jose, I can't remember, but I just remember walking this pretty busy highway in California with my thumb out. And just finding a lot of dilapidated change, which I picked it all up. That's another thing that's fun when you're hitchhiking, is if you're doing the walking kind of hitchhiking, the scavenging, and you find a lot of change. So I had enough change that night to buy my dinner. And I have a lot of fun with this dilapidated change and looking at the people looking at it like, is that a dime? I'm like, yeah, it's a dime. And I got no rides. I just saw a lot of frightened looking Asian people driving past me. (laughs) I'm trying not to make eye contact with me. So, again, I got discouraged, got a bus ticket, and took a bus home that, that time. But that was my one-day experience hitchhiking in California, and it was not inspiring. Was that the time that—did you go in San Francisco? 
No, I was not in San Francisco. That was a road trip. I went to San Francisco. But I will say, even though that was hard, I didn't get a ride. Every time I've hitchhiked, it's felt like full time. It's felt like fertile time. It's time that I feel alive, like I'm on an adventure. So it's a good memory, that one day of unsuccessful hitchhiking in California. And um, I guess that could segue into our hitchhiking trip with no destination. Well, let me... I'll go ahead and talk about uh, Hitchin, Virginia, and then we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, a little bit later after that, I decided I'd watched Forrest Gump, and I was really inspired by the way he <laughs> ran back and forth across the country. I'm not a runner, but I thought, I'm not doing anything else with my life. Like, why don't I just get a ride, and I got a ride with my mom and her boyfriend, to Chesapeake Bay, watch the sunrise, and then walk all the way across the country, no matter how long it takes. Just walk, 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 and then when I get to the West Coast... Watch the sunset. Oh, that sounds so romantic. Yeah. I was really inspired. And at that point, I was such an adventurer. Like, I'd get ideas like that. And like, fuck it. I'll do it. So <laughs> I did that. I spent the night there. They dropped me off. And then the next morning, I pack up and start walking. I probably walked 20 miles. And it's, like, hot and humid. And the first, like, this garbage truck pulls over and says, hey, man, you need a lift? Before I could even, like, think about what I was saying, I was like, yes. <laughs> my whole goal was not to get a ride, but as soon as they asked me, yes. So they strapped my backpack to the top of the garbage truck, oh my and I rode the route with them. Like, it took about three hours, and I got, like, maybe ten miles down the road. <laughs> but after that, it was full-on hitchhiking. And uh, all I wound up doing for two weeks was hitchhiking all over Virginia, just bouncing back and forth. Um, I'd hear about some place like a commune. I ended up visiting three communes, and... They'd feed me pretty well, but then they'd run me off. I was what they called a, a it wasn't a drop-in. They had a word for it, but it was not something they liked. Somebody that just <laughs> showed up on their doorstep un, mm. unannounced. Um, but yeah, the communes were interesting to see. Great food, hospitality. Eh, okay. I remember this one woman that told me about the first commune. She gave me a ride, a woman in her 40s, pretty attractive, um, she pulled over and as I was getting out, she said, since I'm older than you, I want to give you a piece of advice. Find one thing that you love, that you care about and do that. I've realized in my life, I've spread myself too thin and I don't feel like I'm really good at anything. You find one thing that you care about and you do that. I really appreciated that. You know, like I hadn't had many older people like kind of, I don't know, talk to me in that way. It was always this kind of intellectual abstract way. And this was like out of her heart. So I thought about that and I was like, I think my one thing is nature. I want to learn everything I can about nature. And I laugh now when I look back at that because nature is such a huge fucking thing. (laughs) So even though I poured myself into nature, I've still in a way sort of fallen into her trap. Now that I'm in my 40s, I've spread myself too thin. I know a little bit about tracking, foraging, wilderness survival, but I wouldn't call myself like really accomplished in any of those things. So, yeah. And (laughs) And then I found my way back and that was my little... My next hitchhiking trip in Virginia. There's something about Virginia, in particular Southern Virginia, that is kind of like this black hole. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't really tune into that until Teresa and I really took it on. I think I just kind of like skipped over that somehow, like hit another road or something, got a long ride. But yeah, Southern Virginia is a black hole. Um, If you're going to get stranded someplace... It's probably going to be there. It's probably going to be there. And when... Like, after we had gone on the mountains to the sea trail and I had experienced a lot of really positive rides, um, hitchhiking, I we just had this idea to go on a hitchhiking trip. And Gumby had asked me, you know, where would you want to go? 
And I don't know. I mean, I'd been to most of the places I had wanted to go to, at least in the United States. So the idea was to just leave our house. We were still um, living in a trailer. And just start walking and hitchhiking from there. So the first ride we got was maybe about less than 10 miles away from where we lived at. And it was on this kind of uh, busy road, but it was out in the middle of nowhere. So the guy picks us up and drops us off in Raleigh, North Carolina, in a pla- in the very same shopping center that we had spent a lot of our time at when we were doing the houseless retreat. So that was kind of a sign like, oh, wow, you know, this is going to be kind of an interesting trip. So we, we have a meal there, and the second ride we get takes us almost back to our doorstep, like where we started in Durham. Not exactly our house, but pretty damn close. So we just made like a circle the first night. And, um, and not having a destination, it was kind of funny talking to the people when they picked us up because they're like, well, where are you going? And we're like, uh, where are you going? Yeah, that's not weird. Just to like, you know, where, where are you headed? Yeah, so, we tell people what we're doing and they think it was really cool. You know, we're going as far as you'll take us in any direction. Yeah, so we kind of ended up where? You mean ultimately? Yeah. We sort of did a weird little loop around our local area, like the Triangle, and then we went up to uh, sort of in central northern Virginia, and then it was time, like, Teresa wanted to keep going. At that time, she was like, you know, I, I would like to keep going, but I'd already told people how long we were going to be out. My mom was watching our dog. Um, and I don't know. I just felt like, no, I want to stick with our plan, our yeah. original plan. So it was time to turn around. But the fact that she wanted to keep going and everything kind of led to our next hitchhiking trip. But, yeah, that's as far as we got just up to Virginia and back. And we learned that by having two people, it was kind of a nice way to take a break when the other person was hitchhiking so we'd pick a number like 25 cars or 50 cars or something like that and the one person would stand there hitchhiking while the other person was sitting maybe reading a book or or just you know you know catching a cat nap here or there and it wasn't that the other person was hiding like how your dad would have (laughs) no we were right there like one of us would be kind of like right beside the other person but like reclining and the other person be up there counting cars and it was a really like nice way to pass the time because it occupied your mind as you have your thumb out because you're counting the cars Mm -hmm. and that almost becomes a game in itself (laughs) oh teresa you burped you're nasty (laughs) you're so gross Oh, another thing that we tried which gumby had mentioned doing before this trip but i had never experienced it was flying cardboard i didn't even know what it meant to be honest with you gumby yeah we just tried it a little bit and it didn't actually work that well for us i don't think i even like i wouldn't say i wouldn't do it anymore but i've kind of my style has changed where i don't use the the cardboard much i sort of let uh the road that i'm hitchhiking on do the talking Mm -hmm. but i think there is a place for cardboard and like i said that's just writing your destination and I would say keep it vague until you need to get it specific like if you're going to quarter lane Idaho and you're in North Carolina all that sign needs to say is west because even if somebody (laughs) takes you to Utah that's a hell of a lot closer to North Carolina and if they see Idaho they're going to think I'm not going to Idaho I can't give them a ride you get to Idaho then it's time to say quarter lane Idaho you know you got to start getting specific because then you might get a ride it might take you further away from where you already are. Um, 
but yeah, that's all I got to say about cardboard. And it's pretty easy to find a piece of cardboard. And if you go in any gas station or whatever and ask if you can borrow a marker, most of the time they're going to say yeah. What about, um, we kind of, we really already talked about this. I guess I'll go on to the anatomy of an on-ramp. And that is really just saying to allow some space for cars to pull over. So you don't necessarily want to be right at the top of an on-ramp. You want to have the cars be able to see you, but also give them time to and space to pull over. And so just standing a little further down from the top of the on-ramp. And especially on hot days, well, Gumby, this is yours, but just finding a good place to stand. Maybe you can talk about standing still or walking too. Yeah, so some hitchhikers never walk. Like, we actually got a ride from this guy. Um, <laughs> interesting guy. This is one of those rides that I'm not sure if it was like... Like, uh, this guy picked us up and he had a small car and he already had this very flamboyant guy that was like hitchhiking in the car. Like he had a belly shirt. He like had no teeth. This, this hitchhiker that he had picked up (laughs) and, uh, he had bunny ears like strapped to his head. I mean, it it was like, it was like he had dressed in the outfit least likely to get him a ride. But somehow, but somehow he was making it. And And he was traveling with a little dog, by the way. Yeah. And he was just coming from a rainbow gathering and telling (laughs) us a story about how this guy had stabbed him because he was like slept under a tree. And the guy said, that's my tree. And he wouldn't move. And so they got in a knife fight over who got to sleep in this tree or under this tree. So anyway, yeah. And he's got a little tiny dog with him. So this guy stuffs us in and this guy's kind of like a, like big, uh, you know, I don't know. Kind just, of scary looking. Yeah. You're kind of one of these rough country guys, which that could go either way. For the most part, rough country guys have been really friendly. You know, I've I've really appreciated um, the help they offer. This guy, there was just something about him. Like, why the hell is he jamming his car full of people? And then he starts talking about, well, we're talking about red flags later, right? No, you can go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. So some red flags to look for. And this is the other thing that I really impressed upon Teresa when we started hitchhiking together. I said, watch for probing. Sometimes people bring up things that it's like, why the hell would they bring that up? For instance, <laughs> prostitution, for instance, like... Drug use. Drug use. Um, so this guy, like, mentions prostitution in kind of a light way, and then he starts really talking up his hometown where he's heading. Like, we need to go there. We could make $500 a day there. And it's just, like, <laughs> too good to be true. So these are all red flags. Like, why is this guy so invested in us going to his hometown? He was going to give us, like, a really expensive tent. Yeah, he's going to give us this brand new tent, even though he said we didn't need it. I mean, too good to be true. Red flag. Most things are too good to be true. Really are. And you got to ask yourself, what's somebody's motivation? There are plenty of kind people out there that their motivation is because they want to help. But I don't know. There's sort of a line that you got to couple it with everything else, including inappropriate conversation. Now, there's different kinds of people that have different things that offend them. That's something you roll with. You know, like I don't get offended easy on the road. So the way I handle that kind of thing is if somebody brings up something, I don't feed it. Mm. I just kind of, hmm, you know, and then try to change the subject. Do they push it further? Right. Do they bring the conversation back to that? That's my second red flag. Now I have a decision to make. Should I end this ride? There's always going to be another ride. If you have even one red flag, you need to start thinking about maybe I need to get out. Um, so he's coming to this place to stop. He wants to pick us back up. He's got to go run this errand or whatever. And he has this kind of weird cryptic conversation with a guy on a cell phone. More and more, I'm feeling like 
I'm not liking where this is heading. I don't want to go back to this guy's hometown. I don't know how far in the boonies it is and the nature of it being his hometown. He's going to be surrounded by his friends and who knows what kind of shit he's involved with. You know, there's some really bad crap going on in this country. I don't want to scare you about hitchhiking because I haven't run into a lot of it, but that doesn't change the fact that like this human trafficking stuff, serial killers, uh, hate groups, they are in fact out there. That's not complete fiction. Sex trafficking, did you say that one? Human trafficking, yeah. So, yeah, when he dropped us off, I just thanked him and said we'd talk about it. And Teresa hadn't picked up on a lot of this stuff at the time. So she was like, she was kind of leaning towards, you know, oh, well, that's going to get us a lot further north. That'll be a good thing. Uh, Or with this guy, the hitchhiker, you know, he's getting left off, too. And he's like thinking he's going to continue on. He smokes a little weed with us. And, you know, I take Teresa's side. With you. With me. Yeah. Yeah, you smoked a little bit. Oh, okay, maybe I did. But anyway, we go <laughs> under a tree, and I I felt decent about the hitchhiker. You know, my what was raising my alarms was the guy giving us a ride. So that's why I smoked a little weed. I wouldn't have smoked weed with the other guy. I don't want to be at all cloudy when there's somebody that's already sketching me out a little bit. Yeah. So we go under a tree by a parking lot, and I point out to Teresa all the things I've seen, and we agree, like, all right, we don't know in fact what's happening here, but since there's even a possibility that this could be a bad ride— we need to get out of here. Mm-hmm. We don't want to be around when this guy shows up again. I I didn't figure figure the guy was going to try to kidnap us or anything, but all the same, why not just like get out of there? So we ended up going into town, treating ourselves because for this first trip that Teresa was hitchhiking, we were actually like going in motel rooms whenever we wanted to, eating out. We tried to. Oh, <laughs> Teresa! Wow, oh, I'm drinking the beer and you keep burping. That's nasty. <laughs> oh, anyway. Moving past your interruption, oh, God. Um, we'd eat out a lot. It was the next hitchhiking trip that we tried to push ourselves more. But, um, yeah, I'd say those are some red flags. And if you ask to be let out, and I've done this before, like with the salesman that asked to put his hand on my crotch. If you ask to be let out, and if they don't, it's not like the movies where, like, suddenly the guy puts on the Mike Myers mask, and you know for a fact he's the hmm. bad guy, he's the monster. In real life... Shit tends to be a lot more incremental and subtle. So I think what gets a lot of people in trouble is they keep second-guessing themselves. Is this all in my head? Am I overreacting? If a guy doesn't let you out, there's no reason that they should not let you out. You are fighting for your life after that. So if the person doesn't let you out, you know, maybe it's like a bad spot and they need to go another block. But beyond that, you're fighting for your life. You better be ready to stab, to punch, to kick. You're fighting for your life. That person has ill intent towards you. And that's something I told Teresa. Like, probably not going to happen, but if it does happen, this is one of those things we need to be ready for. Mm-hmm. Having a story. Yeah. And that's another good thing. Like, for all things. I mentioned a lot of times that you want to have a story ready. This is another time. Have something to say that might, like, get you out of the car. I like, really need to go to the bathroom. Yeah, I got to go to the bathroom. We actually use this in yeah. our next hitchhiking trip. Um, but some kind of story, some kind of, it doesn't have to be great. You're not trying to like convince the person beyond all measure of a doubt. He doesn't need to be convinced. If you give a flimsy story, any reason, like you're just ready to get out, mm-hmm. doesn't pull over, you're fighting for your life. Yeah. And you are indeed fighting for your life. And if you need to ask yourself before you hitchhike, do you have that kind of fight in you? Are you ready to fight? If you're a very passive type that even recognizing you're in danger, you don't think you've got that kind of fight in you, you might want to question whether you should be hitchhiking. Um, I've never run into a situation that dire, but the stories are out there, and I don't think they're all made up. 
And I, I'm going to take this opportunity to just say that I, as a female, would never hitchhike by myself. I would never. I, I know other women that say that it's disempowering. They get offended when people say that because they're like, I've hitchhiked by myself. It's been fine. And I don't like that you're saying like a woman can't do what a man can do. I get where they're coming from. And if that's their experience, I wish them the best of luck. Yeah. But anybody in my sphere that like I care about, I would always like really discourage them from hitchhiking by themselves. There's just more things that could happen to a woman. They're more of a, a targeted group than a man. And another thing we talked about with that ride is anytime you're not the weirdest person in the car, (laughs) that's something you got to think about. Most of the time when you get picked up, you're kind of the colorful character. You're the weirdest person in the car. When you get picked up by people and you're not the weirdest person in the car. You might want to rethink this situation. (laughs) Yeah, it could be fun. It could be a good ride, but start paying more attention. (laughs) Yeah, so definitely... um, Listen to those gut feelings, look for red flags, including probing questions or inappropriate topics. Um, be really mindful mindful about what you do and how you may become uh, inebriated or otherwise. Yeah, up. yeah. I'm somebody who like if somebody <laughs> passes me a joint, I tend to smoke it. If they have an extra beer, I tend to drink it. But this is a situation you don't want to be hazy in. Like really, you got to feel safe. You know, and you got to know how your body reacts. Can you drink three beers and still, like, really honestly be sharp? So that's a time that I would, like, yeah, be careful with that. And and just to follow up these, um, I don't want to say scary things, but things that are very pragmatic and practical to keep in mind when you're hitchhiking, are the next trip that we went on hitchhiking, we did have a destination in mind, and it was to go to New England and to see the fall leaves and to get some clam chowder. Yeah, we we like did that trip and then we did summer camp, which was brutally hot. And so we were like really ready to get someplace cooler. Um, and one of the reasons we had a destination is when we kind of discussed our trip with no destination, we thought it sort of was, um, it, it was interesting to go with no destination to try to just like see where the signs led us. But it was also a little, uh, what would you say? meandering like we felt like maybe a destination would actually help us have a focal point yeah yeah and i mean having a goal seems to kind of be fun too like the trip is amazing and the journey there is amazing but having a goal of getting somewhere you're kind of like woohoo we did it Mm -hmm. so yeah so this next time we went to new england and the stories like i said are on our website so you can check out all the details in full but um should i tell them about anything you want tony yeah. <laughs> so we had just started coming back. Like we reached our goal of going to New England. We even had a really awesome couple drive us all the way across New Hampshire and um, have some clam chowder with us at the beach. Yeah, they the went coast. all the way out of their way. We, we were on one end of New Hampshire and they just like In Keene, found out what we were doing and decided, hell, we'll take you all the way to the coast. They like, were like going out to get coffee and then all of a sudden they're just like going to the coast of New Hampshire. Yeah. And so there's this awesome couple. We, we linger at the beach after they leave and, you know, spend a little bit of the time at the beach and now we're hitchhiking back. Oh, I'm hijacking No, no, story. go ahead. And, and then we... Um, Traffic is stopped there. So it's one of those like unique situations where like there's road work going on and we have to walk and navigate all these road employees with our big backpack and everything, which is always kind of awkward. But people are coming out like little by little, you know, as the sign flips and like the stop sign turns into the slow sign. Mm-hmm. This Jeep pulls over and it's this like, 
kind of like jock looking college dude with a beard, you know, sort of like a party looking dude. Yeah, but he was old though. Like he was an old party. He wasn't an old man. He was older than a college kid. He was like probably in his late thirties, early forties. Yeah. And he had a woman. You call that old? Well, he wasn't a college guy. Anyway, he had a a woman in the car. A pretty, yeah, pretty blonde with like a sun hat and she gets out and she's kind of quiet and like helps us load our stuff. Very meek. But this guy's just over the top right away, like, woo, yeah, like, yeah, load up, yeah, hey, you know, and just, like, really, like, boisterous. And I think that he probably was in a manic phase of some sort of mental illness because he was not only like that in personality but in actions. He was drinking beers like they're, they were just water like he was just slamming them back yeah. one after the other and i mean like 13 beers in the course of our ride i think would be an underestimate and at first when he's drinking beer you know i know some people can hold a lot of beer and be fine so i wasn't holding that by itself against him that's when i start paying attention to how he's driving like what kind of person he is and we find out that his speedometer is broken so yeah. he could be going 100 miles an hour, and we have no clue. And he's going all over the road. He sees a cop with somebody pulled on the other side, and is like yelling at him and flipping him off. I mean, the guy's just reckless as hell. And right off, right off the bat, he says, "Where are you going? Like North Carolina? Woo, Let's road go. trip! Yeah. Let's go to road. Let's go to North Carolina. It's only like 13 and a half hours away. Oh, her son lives in Wilmington. Oh yeah, shit. Let's just do this. And again, that red flag. Too good to be true. Yeah. I'm not saying don't take a ride like that i'm saying be suspicious like he might have given us a ride all the way to north carolina and things would have been fine i wasn't willing to take that risk there were too many red flags for me yeah it was really getting dangerous on the road and he was saying things like um he's bulletproof or you know he was just indicating that he never nothing could hurt him so that's why i was saying i think he probably had uh, mental illness more so than what we all kind of have. <laughs> yeah, so eventually I just tell him I got to use the bathroom, and as soon as like he pulls over to a place like, you know, there's this parking lot, I'm like, I can go right here, and as soon as I'm out, I'm like, Teresa, will you get our stuff? And you know, it's awkward because of course, why am I gonna unload the stuff to use the bathroom? But it doesn't fucking matter. We're out of this ride, you know. And the guy actually says like, fuck you, Gumby. But <laughs> I don't care if he likes me or not. You know, I got to think of our safety. So the guy leaves, and you know, we find a place to sleep that night, and. Our ride comes along. We're on our way again. And like I said, just to be clear, these are way the exceptions, not the rule. Yeah, we're, we're telling these like semi-scary stories because these are the ones you got to prepare for. You don't really need to prepare for the friendly rides. And so many of the rides are just so good. They restore your faith in humanity. Yeah, like I just want to say this one because I had forgotten until I updated the website the other day. There was this guy named Richard in, um, I believe it was Bethesda, Maryland. We had just been able to navigate the free uh, public transportation in Bethesda. And it started to rain, so we took shelter under this bus stop, and he saw us walking. Like, he was walking, and he saw us just sitting at this bus stop. So he tells us he's going to go get his car. And if we could just wait there, he'll take us to the train station because we didn't know how we were going to navigate another big city. We had already been through like New York city, Philadelphia, Baltimore. We were a little road weary, especially in big cities. They're just very difficult. Oh my God. Are you going to talk more about New York or is this a good time to talk about that? Well, let me finish this story because we're like really running over here. But anyway, so this Richard, he comes back not only with his car, but in a, a, small cardboard box he's got 
some yogurt with spoons and he even has a marker and he tells us well maybe you could use the box as a sign <laughs> and ha- and like has this sharpie marker in the box it was like a hobo kit i mean it was amazing and so that type of person like just a contrast with the other guy that was obviously disturbed i mean there are people in this world that are so freaking amazing and we've had people and this is running into gumby's topic but we've had people that are in the tiniest little old shit car from the 80s and they've got like their whole family in there and they've got like all sorts of stuff from their road trip or whatever and they squeeze us in with our two giant backpacks yeah and as teresa's like uh describing if someone wants to pick you up they will find a way it always amazes me that you know you'll see people like one person driving in a car passing you you know maybe in a pickup truck a huge car you know just passing you passing you passing you and the person that pulls over is like (laughs) like Teresa just described has their whole freaking family crammed into a small car and they're just like I don't know how you're gonna fit in but we're giving you a ride yeah like I'm squished (laughs) up next to the kid's car seat who he's in the car seat and then me and Gumby are just like in the back seat together with our packs yeah we've met so many interesting people and a lot of them (laughs) you remember being in the trailer behind that car that car pulling the little trailer? The the tweakers? Yeah. Oh, my God. These guys, we call them tweakers because they acted like they were tweaked out on something. We don't know that for a fact. But they were had a little, like, mower trailer <laughs> behind their car, and the car was full. And they pulled over and let us, like, get in the mower trailer. <laughs> that was a frightening ride. And they actually took us where we didn't want to go because, like... We told them where we were heading, and they're like, yeah, 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 I know where that is. Yeah, yeah, no yeah. Problem. We, know, we know where you want to go. We know where you're going. It was not where we were going. <laughs> but they got us somewhere. Yeah, they got us out of there, and we rolled with it, and we were like, all right, now we're on this road, so let's make the most of it. And ended up being another positive experience. I'd say another thing with hitchhiking is, you know, you hear that saying, it's the journey, not the destination. Definitely true when you're hitchhiking. Yeah. Never more true. Um, you just got to roll with it. Let go of that destination. You'll get there when you get there. And whatever happens there, that's its own story. But the hitchhiking is not just a way to get from point A to point B. It is its own adventure. And when you forget that, that's when you start doing dangerous shit. You got to be awake, alive, and aware when you're hitchhiking. It is your adventure. It's not just something you're passing through to get to your adventure or destination. What story did you want to tell? As far as... You, you were saying something about, like, maybe a big city or something? Oh, I just wanted to point out, New York is, like, the big city, you know? So, the like, city. the city. So, that's one I have always avoided. And this guy picks us up in where? Delaware? Massachusetts. Massachusetts. And he speaks Russian. Like, um, he speaks Almost broken English. Russian. Chain English. smoker. Really friendly guy, but yeah. he's just, like, chain smoking and, like, broken English. And he's trying to, you know, be really, like, friendly and conversational as much as he can with the, the language barrier. But he says he's going to what part of? Brooklyn. Brooklyn, New York. And we're like, oh. And Teresa and I look at each other and we're like, all right, fuck it. You know, this is where the road's going. Like, we're both kind of scared of the big city. Never been in the big city. Never been to New York City at all. Let's do it. So he takes us into Brooklyn, and of course the traffic is like barely crawling, and the city, I've never seen a city like this, it just swallows you, like, I mean, it was a claustrophobic feeling for a country boy like me that's always been like in the outskirts where there's parks and grass and stuff. And where do you hitchhike at? Yeah, we ended up getting a pizza in New York, and then like 
getting on the subway and ended up taking like a train to New Jersey because we just couldn't figure out like, <laughs> I'm sure it's possible to hitchhike in New York, but at that time, um, that night it was raining as well. We just weren't up for it. We're like, let's just get out of the city and continue hitchhiking from there. Yeah. And that's where we met, uh, soon after that met Richard mm-hmm. with the hobo kit. Yeah. So yeah, there are there are definitely challenges to big cities, but there's also people everywhere, whether you're out in the country or in the big cities, um, that are willing to help. And yeah, and like I mentioned before, a lot of those people that pick you up, they're interested in your travels, in your stories, your adventures that you're having. And I'd say that's part of uh, your job as a hitchhiker mm-hmm. is to share your story. Again, read the person. I have been picked up by people who are quiet and seem to be like prefer the quiet. You know, read your audience. Are they like engaged? Do they ask you questions to encourage more of your story? Mm-hmm. If not, like maybe just like, you know, settle down. Maybe they just wanted to do a friendly thing and like the company. And some people want to tell you their story like they're going through something. But I'd say people that pick you up, you need to be prepared to tell you tell your story because that's often why people pick you up they're falling asleep at the wheel they're bored they want somebody to entertain them and that's your job as a hitchhiker and that hygiene thing um (laughs) you asked me like how i kept clean i mean for a lot more detail on hygiene check out our podcast clean green seldom seen hygiene season one but uh yeah, that's also your job, not to stink up their car. Mm. I mean, you're a guest there. You know, they were nice enough to pull over. So even if all you can do is go in a gas station and, like, wop, wipe your crotch and your, your <laughs> armpits, you know, and just look, is your face dirty? Like, wash your face? Do that. I mean, these people are giving you a ride. You know, it's rude just to get in there and, like, you leave and, like, your your odor lingers. <laughs> you leave a stain on the seat. <laughs> yeah, so be a good guest and share stories. Yeah, and, and a lot of those people, too, they want to do something kind, so... You really encounter, like I said, over 95%, like the best of humanity. And this is another thing Teresa and I took turns with is who rides up front. Mm. So it's kind of a job, you know, to be the the storyteller. So we would switch around, you know, like if I was up front, Teresa would be in the back the next ride. And it was understood that the person in the back is sort of the uh, defense. (laughs) That's the person that needs to be ready if this ride turns into a crazy ride. They're the person that has the tactical advantage. You know, like if somebody pulls out a gun, they can put a gun like next to the head of the person beside them. It's kind of hard to watch the person behind them. That person has a job, too. But it's also, since it's so unlikely and rare that that's going to happen, a time to relax while the other person does all the talking. Mm -hmm. So that's another good thing about hitchhiking with two people. And uh, I wasn't sure what it would be like to hitchhike with two people. A man and a woman hitchhiking together, a lot of people said they picked us up because I was with a woman. Now... If I had only done that, I might think I couldn't hitchhike as a single man, but it's a whole different group of people that, like, picks you up as a single man um, because they've got room, you know, because then other they might be the ones that, like, I can't fit two people in. Mm-hmm. So I would say whatever your situation with a dog, with a woman, by yourself, whatever, there's going to be a group of people that will pick you up. Oh, it's yeah. just going to be a different kind of group of people. And there was a guy, I think his name was Lauren, that we met in... Where was that? It was out west. He was trying to get to Phoenix, and he had a dog with him. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And we were asking him, like, so how's it been hitchhiking with your dog? And it was a a small to medium-sized breed. And he was hitchhiking from, I think, Missouri or maybe Arkansas. I can't remember. And he said he'd never hitchhiked otherwise. All his hitchhiking experience was with a dog. Mm -hmm. So he didn't know whether it was easy or not with a dog. But he was getting rides. Yeah. 
And um, we've had somebody pick us up with Sherlock when we were doing the Mountains to the Sea Trail. And God, that guy's pristine car with two backpackers that had tried to keep clean, but the, our dog had just gotten into some like <laughs> nasty looking water. But he did it. He made it happen. So nice people are going to do nice things. And the other thing I was going to mention just briefly is um, slugging. Never heard the term before. Evidently, it's a big thing around big cities that have the high occupancy vehicle or HOV lanes for like carpooling. We ran into this term in northern Virginia, just south of Washington, by a Catholic deacon who picked us up. And he said, oh, you guys are slugging. And we're like, "Uh, not that we know of. I don't know what that means. (laughs) But yeah, I guess we were slugging, just carpooling. Yeah, and apparently people like, you know, that's just kind of a thing they do. It's It sounds like hitchhiking from the description we heard, but they call it slugging. We, we were slugs. I think the main difference was they were going around the lots where people park or something like people go to the lots and they say like, hey, do you want to ride? Because that way everybody in that car will benefit from using the high occupancy vehicle faster lane, yeah. especially around big cities. Okay, so this has gone on long. Well, let's try to wrap this up. <laughs> yeah. um, and again, if we've missed anything, if uh, you have any questions about any, something we said, well, Teresa will talk about that. But um, Craigslist Joe, that's a documentary that Teresa introduced me to. And one of the things that stood out to me is really interesting is he traveled the country strictly by using Craigslist. He never stuck his thumb out. And after watching that, I'd done a lot of hitchhiking before that. And I was thinking, oh my God, like I've got this free iPad, what we're talking into right now to make this podcast um, that somebody just gave me. Wow. What if I brought that with me? It hardly takes up any space. I can charge it at any like fast food place and get on Craigslist. (laughs) What if I couple that with hitchhiking? I've yet to really make a concerted effort to do that, but I think that's probably a humongous resource because there's even a ride share section on Craigslist specifically for that, um, to get rides with people. So that's another thing that we have not explored much, but I, I suspect is a tremendous game changer, like a definite good resource. Um, we're like kind of these rare people that don't have phones. We don't carry phones, but I, I think a lot of people have smartphones or some kind of phone at this point. If you don't, you can make do with like a little iPad like we are, or even if you don't even have that, you can go into a lot of libraries. And uh, even if you don't have a library card there, a lot of them will let you do like a little guest thing where you can borrow their computer. But however you can get on Craigslist, if you can organize a ride through Craigslist, that could really help you, especially if you're not having any luck hitchhiking. You do get stranded in places for a while. And uh, again, always be patient. You won't be there forever. Mm-hmm. So whether you do Craigslist or not, if you're stranded there, do not get desperate. Um you will eventually find the ride you need to get out of there. Yeah, and as much as possible, even though we don't have phones, try to communicate with somebody that will, you know, be able to keep track of your journeys. Whether that's, even if that's like on Facebook as you're, you know, as you're traveling, like really make sure that people um, know where you are. Yeah, you as the listening audience are our people keeping track of our journey. So if we suddenly disappear, one of you motherfuckers better contact somebody. (laughs) We might be in trouble. Yeah, Alex from Washington, D.C. That means you. Um, Alex wrote in and said, great opening song. So y'all ever come through D.C.? And yes, we have come through D.C. Um, As mentioned, Richard uh, from Bethesda was uh, right outside of D.C. and helped us get to the station where somebody that worked there gave us like free cards so that we could 
get on through our journey. And we ended up bypassing a lot of DC, um, seeing the sights from the train, but getting to, where was it? Huntington, I think. And, uh, so yeah, we, we went through DC in a manner of speaking. Um, Gumby, did you want to mention anything about our song? (laughs) Oh yeah. So Alex from DC says, great song. Um, (laughs) <laughs> that song actually came from, like, Teresa had never smoked anything when I met her. No cigarettes, nothing. So, and I'd been a pothead for, like, all through my 20s. I don't <laughs> smoke nearly as much anymore. But I was like, oh, man, you got to smoke, like, weed at least once. So we became very occasional weed smokers. Mm-hmm. And then there was a time we were in the mountains, you know, we had moved into the van. I was feeling really free. We had so much time, no responsibilities. I was like, you need to try a wake and bake day. Like, <laughs> at least once a day that you wake up, you smoke weed, and, like, you are stoned for the entire day. So we did that in the mountains, and it was a really interesting day. And out of that day came the theme song. Um, Gabby kept, wrote that theme song. Yeah, I kept goofing around on the guitar and, like, you know, well, Arnie, you know, came up with a little theme and then kept coming up with a lot of uh, verses that we abandoned quite a few of them. But, like, <laughs> yeah, these are the four we thought were the best uh, under the influence of marijuana. <laughs> So that's uh, that that song is near and dear to us because it takes us back to that day. And there was a lot of like other interesting things of that day. Just a really free feeling good day in the mountains. Mm-hmm. And that goes to say, if you have any comments or questions or, oh, man, any stories that you have, whether you've hitchhiked or or just traveled anywhere that you'd like to share with us, please do. You can contact us on our website, www.escapingsociety, all one word dot weebly with a b dot com and we also have our facebook page escaping society where i try to post things that are relatively relevant to the podcast that we've just released and make sure you review our podcast we'd like to hear um input especially if it's good but also otherwise and other than that gumby anything hitchhiking try it (laughs) thanks for listening Oh, society sucks and we don't need it. It's killing your kids, so why do you feed it? They'll tell you to stay, but you don't need to heed it. You can give them the finger. There's no time to linger. So, thank you for listening to our song. It's not very good and it went kind of long. Don't care if you like it, cause we'll be gone. Over that next horizon. We ain't got no Thank mm-hmm. you.